everybody, and welcome to the club officially. It's uh, <laughs> It's been an interesting couple of days, but we are here with the inaugural episode of the Deke Geeks podcast, and uh, I'm Thomas Mercier, for those of you who don't know me, play-by-play announcer for Race Side Bell for Canadians and the Sudbury Wolves as well. Joining me as the guest co-host this week, live from North Bay, he is the host of the Rock Drive on 101.9 Rock, weekdays from 2 to 7, Saturdays 10 to 3, and Sundays 11 to 4. You can also find him at North Bay Memorial Gardens as the public address announcer for the North Bay Battalion, Mr. Brian Floyd. Brian, thank you very much for joining me again. We had uh, we had recorded yesterday and unfortunately had some technical difficulties, but we're back on a new uh, recording system. So hopefully this turns out a lot better. I'm sure it will, but thanks again for joining me. And thanks again for the uh, for the intro. And I, I feel like that's the the nature of things is everyone's like, oh, hold on, we got to restart this meeting. We got technical difficulties. So yeah. uh, this is right on par with with what everyone's feeling right now. Yeah, exactly. Of course, with all the COVID stuff going on, it's been tough for everybody. And now everyone has to do pretty much everything remotely. So this is kind of how we're coping with the uh, with this podcast and how it's going to start at least for now. But at least it gives us a chance, you know, to communicate and talk some hockey. Uh, so we love, yeah, exactly. I mean, we all love hockey, so (laughs) why not start up a podcast and talk about it while we don't have it? Uh, first thing on the agenda, Brian, obviously over the weekend, Colby cave, uh, for those who didn't know, passed away on Saturday from a brain bleed, uh, passing away in Toronto, eventually made his way back up home. And, uh, you know, it's been a really emotional weekend just for the entire sports world in general. Of course, Howard Fangle passing away as well. Uh, earlier this week, Kobe Bryant passed away earlier this year. It's been a tough, tough 2020 for sports. Uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on Kobe Cave because, again, he wasn't really known much uh, for his skill set on the ice. There was that one really nice goal he scored for Edmonton. It actually turned out to be his last goal. But what the person that he was in the locker room is what really made him respected league-wide, and that's why there was such a huge outpouring for him. Yeah, and I think, Tom, anytime something like this happens in sport, I, I just feel like, you know, it brings us a little closer together, not just as, as fans, but as, uh, as humans. And we look to a lot of these athletes who, uh, you know, we look to them for entertainment and release, and we sometimes forget that they're, they're humans as well. Yeah. And uh, anytime something happens like this, it kind of shocks the sporting world, and I feel like it does bring us closer together, and we, you know, forget that you know, some things are just bigger than sport. And uh, obviously with Kobe, he's, he's a young guy who had a lot more to give, not just to, to hockey, but uh, to life. And it's uh it's a terrible thing. Yeah, absolutely. And again, not to take away from this whole situation, but one person in particular decided to take this Colby cave situation and kind of put his own spin on it. Uh, for those who didn't see Daniel Carcillo, who of course was a former enforcer in the national hockey league, most notably with Philadelphia. I think you can agree with me on that part, uh, that point. Um, Mm -hmm. he, he took to Twitter. I mean, he, uh, you know, expressed his condolences and his sympathies, but then he put a bit of a spin on it, which had a lot of people upset. And I'll read this really quickly, uh, just so people know what he said. And this is from his Twitter saying, rest easy, Colby. My thoughts are with the entire K family with so many questions and uncertainties in this world at the moment. My hope is that the family has considered a brain donation to possibly help prevent another future tragedy such as this and receive some answers. I am not turning this into a TBI or CTE thing. I am an organ donor and when I pass my brain 
It will be research for the betterment of humanity. I am simply hoping that the family has considered a brain donation to get a glimpse into what happened or what could have caused this. Now, of course, Brian, uh, as far as we know, the relation to the death of Colby Cave was a brain bleed. It had nothing to do with uh, concussion-related symptoms or CTE for that matter. And people are only mad at Carcillo just because of the timing and him trying to push his agenda. Do you agree with those people or do you think Carcillo is trying to get some kind of message across? You know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this and I, I, I think the one thing, you know, obviously people saying it's, it's not the time and uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence uh, with regard to that because uh, you know, if now isn't the time, then w- when is the time to talk about something like this? You know, I, I feel like it's fresh in people's minds and why not use this as an example and uh, a lesson that way, you know, his, his death wasn't for nothing. You know what I mean? And, and maybe some good can come of this. And I'm not the biggest, I'll be the first to say I'm not the biggest Dan Carcilla fan. Uh, and I, again, maybe not the right time to press the agenda, but I, I don't know that there's a better time. You know, a lot of what he's saying makes sense to, to me, at least, uh, you know, you have to remember this is a guy who played that role throughout his whole junior career, right into the pros. Uh, and, and that's going to take a toll on, on anyone really. And with that and what we know about CTE now and what we've learned about the brain and concussions, you know, that's just something we need to put an end to. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I say this as a longtime fan of fighting in hockey. You know, there's nothing more exciting than, than when two guys drop the mitts and everyone jumps up or a live brawl or whatever. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, if there were no long-term effects with regard to, to fighting and, and concussions, if there was, you know, if, if no player was ever going to lose his career or worse, his life as a result, then I would say have at her. Uh, but I feel like, you know, now is the time to address this. I feel like the game of hockey has progressed. It's uh, exciting enough and entertaining enough without fighting. And again, as a longtime fan of fighting in hockey, I think that's something that does need to be addressed. And while it maybe is a little sensitive, especially with the family still grieving, uh, I feel like, you know, what better time to bring it up than now when it's fresh on people's minds. And I mean, you know, obviously a lot of people not a fan of Dan Carcel, myself being included, but I respect what he did in the National Hockey League. That's what he got paid to do was to fight people. And I mean, you know, he played offense every now and then, but that's what he got paid to do. And I can honestly respect that. And I just think the timing was a little off. And yes, there needs to be research for the CTE and concussion uh, symptom stuff. Just I think the timing was just not all there. So, I mean... You know, you, you can obviously take either side. Just with what happened, it's just really unfortunate timing, especially with such a tragedy as it was. So, and I mean, there's plenty of documents of, you know, fighting, like the Ice Guardians uh, documentary on, on Netflix. And then there was that one, uh, that one CBC documentary, I think you remember it, the code where that one kid in the GTA mm-hmm. died because his head hit the, uh, the, the ice. And, you know, obviously like you said, fighting is a part of the game. And if the NHL was to take it out, then so be it. Maybe this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. But some of these concussion problems are coming from hits most of the time. It's mm-hmm. almost it's almost never from the fighting ever at all. But again, I agree with you. Like they need to do some research into this stuff and just try and see, you know, what's going on and see if they can put an end to people ending their life so soon or having their lives end so soon as a result of all of this. 
Yeah, it's. I feel like it's something that we see all too often, and you have. Uh, I mean, even Sidney Crosby, for instance, is a guy who has suffered multiple concussions, mm-hmm. and like you said, a lot of them have come from hits. And so it's it's really. I mean, it's tough. They're up against it with regards to finding a way to prevent these injuries, and a lot of that is coming in. You know, the technology. Uh, with helmets now, you know, you see yeah. how they build helmets to, to, to kind of take the shock away from that blow. And I mean, there's obviously still a lot more research that they need to do to protect these, these athletes, not just the Crosby's of the world, but obviously as well, uh, the Colby Caves of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, football's taking big strides into that as well. Cause you know, football obviously is dangerous as well. Cause it's head on head contact most of the time. So the NHL is taking the right steps to try and, you know, prevent something from like uh, this happening ever again. I mean, they're probably going to do some research on Colby cave, make sure that, you know, if it was natural causes, if it was CTEs, but we probably won't know at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, moving on to another topic earlier today, uh, the Winnipeg Jets announcing that they have uh, reached an agreement to terminate the contract of one Dustin Bufflin. And this really came, I don't want to say as a shock to most people. Some people saw this coming, but people thought this would have happened at the start of the season. Now, here's the story of what happened. Uh, the league was saying that Bufflin and the Jets have resolved the grievance filed by Bufflin uh, after he opted not to report to training camp last September, and he was therefore suspended by the team. So now that his contract is terminated, he has to surrender $8 million he would have received at the end of this season and $6 million for next year. And this was the last two seasons of his five-year $38 million contract. And, it, you know, obviously, Dustin Bufflin it was a well-respected defenseman. He was known for being a big guy. And I mean a big guy. You almost could not get by him. And, of course, he used to play mm-hmm. forward back in Chicago. He was, mm-hmm, yeah. he was part of that Stanley Cup winning team for the Blackhawks back in 2010. Uh, I mean – Brian, when you think about this, obviously it's a really tough situation, but what do the future, what does the future hold, not just for Duff and, uh, Dustin Bufflin, but for the Winnipeg Jets organization? Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a doozy. And it's, it's so peculiar to me. It's uh, it just, you know, and anything you would say about it is it would just be speculation. Like, is it a clubhouse thing? Is it a coaching? Is it a substance thing? Like, so it's, it's a very weird situation, but as you mentioned, Thomas, uh, why not do that at the beginning of the season? Why drag this out for the yeah. year? And now you put yourself in a, in a really tough spot, and it, it's going to be hard to fill that hole. You know, you, you talk about how dominant Dustin Bufflin was for, for years and one of the best D-men in the league. He's still, still to this day. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, I could see him – uh, potentially maybe taking a little time off and then coming back uh, with another squad that needs, you know, needs to fill that hole. I'm sure there are a bunch of teams in the league. Uh, I mean, when it comes out, what really happened, that might play a factor, but uh, there are a bunch of teams that would love to have a player like Dustin Bufflin. Yeah, absolutely. And one other player that's uh, that's no longer playing as well. Of course, people heard Andre Markov is retired. He, he's been with the Canadians since the day he's been there. I mean, it's a huge loss for Montreal. They've gone through so many different defensemen. Of course, P.K. Subban being the most notable of the bunch. And I mean, Andre Markov, you know, was another one of those players that was well-respected, you know, retiring on his terms, but for Dustin Bufflin, you know, is this the end of his career? Cause he's 35 years old. And I mean, most 
most defensemen around this age wouldn't usually retire. But then you think of Zidane Ochar. He's like, what, 42 years old? <laughs> Four, and he's I still he's going. 43 years old now, yeah. It, it's, it's unbelievable. But, I mean, you know, he could still compete. And he's by far I – w- I don't want to say the top defender in the league because people are going to argue that point. But he is hmm. he's still among one of the most unstoppable forces on the blue line. Like, is, I, is, is this the end for Bufflin? That's what I want to know. Uh, yeah, like, I, like I said, I, I feel like he could come back in some capacity, maybe not have the minutes that he logged, you know, when he was playing uh, in, in the, um, you know, the glory years of his career. But I would, I mean, if you're a, any team that needs to fill a hole on defense, would you not take a chance with a 35-year-old yeah. Dustin Bufflin? And de- defensemen are, are a different breed. You know, you, you look at some of the greatest defense, like you look like a, look at a, a Chris Chelios who played till he's what, 45 years old? Give or take. You, know, yeah. you got Chara now who is 43. Uh, a lot of these defensemen are just, uh, I, I don't know what it is about defensemen. Defensemen are like quarterbacks. You know, they work hard Pretty much. and they, they tend to have uh, longer careers than, than most other people. Positions. So yeah, uh, I feel like I feel like Bufflin still has some good years left ahead, and uh, I could see him come back in some capacity with uh, with another squad next year. And I mean, you think about you know, obviously with the quarantine going on now, he hasn't played this year at all. So who knows if he was training off ice? But I mean, we could speculate mm-hmm. about that all day. But I mean, <laughs> you know, hopefully this isn't end, the end of the line for Bufflin because I mean, I still respect him as a player. He he's just so much fun to watch, and you know, obviously for him, if this was the end of his career, it'd just be really heartbreaking for that to be the way that the season ends for him. Um, on one side. Do we see the end of the NHL season? Because, of course, back in March, they froze the season as a result of the COVID situation uh, where the CHL has just full-on canceled the entire year. They've canceled playoffs. No Memorial Cup this year, we know that. There's still a chance the NHL might come back, even though they're pushing the self-isolation for players until the end of this month, with the, uh, which is April. So is there a chance hockey comes back in August, as they're suggesting, and where could they possibly even do this? Yeah, I, I, I have heard rumblings that there was going to be some sort of potentially remote location where players would go from isolation and, you know, they would go from the quarantine to the rink, they would play games, and then they would go back into isolation uh, to, you know, protect uh, really protect the players and protect everyone else. You know yeah. what I mean? No fans in the rink. Uh, so it would be a pretty bare bones operation, uh, but at least they would be playing games. Of course, they don't want to do anything. Uh, it sounds like they may have a plan in, in place, but they don't want to push forward until they get the okay, until it's safe. You don't want to go too soon on a, a situation like that and have uh, like, there's a weird, I, I, there's a weird situation happening with in Florida with the WWE yeah. where one of the fighters literally has COVID-19, mm-hmm. but in Florida they said, well, <laughs> it's an essential service. And so they're still doing fights. And I don't think the NHL necessarily wants to do something like that. I don't think it's that kind of organization, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think they do have they do have a plan in place for when we do get back to action. I mean, it is kind of a high risk, high reward almost type of situation, and there have been rumblings of some certain locations. A couple that came up was one in New Hampshire and two at the mm-hmm. University of North Dakota. So those could be potential neutral sites. Some people are saying 
oh, just put them in the cow palace and, you know, outside of California. And immediately I'm thinking, no, because California in especially in that area around San Jose is one of the most infected states in the, in the mm-hmm. entire United States. So, I mean, you know, obviously if the NHL feels like it's safe enough to do this, then maybe they take that chance. But then you think about Calgary where their mayor, uh, Nancy, saying that even if the Flames were to come back, they can't play until after July. Like, they're straight up shutting down the city, basically, for all, like, concerts and sporting events. So who knows what's going to happen at this point? I mean, if the NHL does come back, obviously, I would think, I would imagine the regular season ends as it stands right now, and they start playoffs, which just honestly wouldn't feel the same, and which means they have to put the se- they have to push the season back for next year. Like, do you take that chance and lose out on millions of dollars? Yeah, it, it puts them. It, it's interesting because it puts them in a in a tough spot, kind of like it put you know the Winnipeg Jets. The Winnipeg <laughs> Jets are dealing with a similar situation now. Uh, the NHL is. Uh, I mean, you know, you're losing tons and tons of money, and I'm yeah. sure they're itching to get back to play. But I, at the same time, you know, you don't want to go too soon, and then because the whole world's watching. You know, yeah. and I think that's more important and uh, making sure we all get better and get back to a place where, you know, when we do resume play, it's going to be sustainable. and We can keep pressing on with games and not have to go back into quarantine after. So, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I know they're itching to get back out there, but I, I don't think the NHL makes a move until – uh, you know, until they can, until it makes sense. Well, I mean, the United States is just in such a disarray right now. They they lead the entire world for most confirmed cases and deaths. It, it, it's just a mess down in the United States, especially in New York. And it, it's just getting going to get worse from here on out. Like the, the curve was starting to flatten, and then people started not taking this seriously, and it started getting worse. I mean, here in Canada, like, obviously it's bad, but it's not as bad as the United States, and that's where a majority of your hockey market is. So for Bettman, I'm sure he's going to try and, you know, look into that and see if it's worth coming back. I Honestly, Brian, I don't know about you, but I don't see, I don't see the playoffs starting in August. Like, you, just, I just don't think you could take that chance because you think of the OHL and the CHL, they straight up canceled the Memorial Cup. And for the city of Kelowna, a city that's been waiting for the Memorial Cup since the Rockets existed, it, hmm. it, it, it's a humongous financial loss, not just for Kelowna, but for all teams that are involved in the league. So obviously for the NHL, for most clubs, they could probably survive. But you think of a club like maybe Winnipeg, obviously they have a smaller market and a smaller uh, money margin. It, it, like It's been like that since they started in the league. So it, it's really high risk, and I don't know if the NHL can come back at this point. Yeah, uh, and you, you don't want to rush back. And then, I mean, how is it going to look if if you come back and like, you can't? I, I don't know that you can necessarily end the season. You know what I mean? Just start playoffs and end the season and say, hey, you know, the teams that were on the outside looking in, like uh, the Carolina. Um, hey, well, sorry, guys. Um, I know you, you're two points out of a playoff spot, but, um, well, we're just going to end the season here. So I would see them just outright. And I know, I, I believe it was Doughty the other day, didn't think that, yeah. uh, you know, the NHL was going to come back, period, mm-hmm. this year. And yeah. so, I mean, if you're going to do anything, I, I think it's it's best to to just write the season off at this point. You know, I mean, unless you have a plan in place that you can get those games in safely and then get to the playoffs. But I just, it doesn't seem feasible at this point Uh, with as late in the season. I mean, you're already 
heading into next season at yeah. this point. You know what I mean? Once you get into the, the August, September, you know, those guys start going in September, like before September, they're, they're already training. So, yeah. um, it's tough. That makes sense. And that'll make for a really long season. So at this point I say, you know, cut your losses. You, you obviously it's, it sucks. You lost this season, but you know, start ramping up uh, to, to next year. I think that's what's best for, for really for the players. And I think for the fans too, because you, yeah. you know, if this all passes and we can get back in the stands and go to games again. And uh, I think that's really what it's all about anyway. Well, you think about like if they take the risk of bringing this back and then someone gets infected and it starts to spread again, if the curve flattens, then there's just going to be no rebounding from it. It's like if this COVID situation stops and then starts up again, there's no rebounding from this. So the NHL, I'm sure Gary Bettman's going to take huge considerations into whether or not the season should resume. Do I think it will resume? Maybe, but you need to have a set plan and you need to make sure financially you're going to survive from this. Uh, Brian, let's shift to the Ontario Hockey League. Of course, a league that you and I are much more familiar with considering we both work for our two respective teams. Uh, of course, me working for Subway, you working in North Bay. Uh, you know, the playoffs were supposed to start uh, relatively a couple weeks ago, realistically. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, my end of the story is the Wolves were heading to Peterborough for a game amidst this whole situation. And then the NHL decided to put the season on hold. And then uh, my mom, who gets a text from the players that she billets, says that they're coming back home. And we're, and we're immediately like, that is not good news. <laughs> this, this whole situation has, you know, been pretty unfortunate and the wolves were probably going to go on a bit of a playoff run they were seated second in the league in the eastern conference at that point their first central division title since 2001 for north bay on the other end not so much obviously they went through a lot this season you know stan butler stepping off from the bench they traded one of their longest players in brad chenier for shane malika mm -hmm. just rotating door of goaltenders bringing in camera the more just before the trade deadline it's it's been a whirlwind season for the battalion, but the second half of the season they've really started to pick it up as soon as Ryan Ulihan stepped onto the bench. And you know, since you worked for the battalion, I just wanted to get your whole opinion on the season because obviously wasn't an ideal situation compared to the first few years that the team was in North Bay. Of course, you guys made the OHL final back in your first season, Eastern Conference final the second make the playoffs, but you get swept by, uh, mm -hmm. I believe it was Niagara, if I'm not mistaken. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on what this whole season has been like. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, you know, the beginning of the season. We knew we had some, some great young talent that was going to develop. I mean, this is inherently, it is a development league. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, it, it comes to a point, and I, I think this is with any organization, with any team, any franchise in sports where, you know, the, the team just, you, you need to kind of shake things up. And this is not a knock on, on Stan Butler, but I, I feel like, you know, certain at a certain point, it, it has a certain shelf life, that system. And the, this organization just needed a shakeup. And, you know, you had... Uh, Ryan Olihan come in, who's a, a familiar face, a former battalion captain. You know, you had uh, a couple years back, you brought in Adam Dennis, who you, the minute that guy stepped on the bench, you could tell that he was upper management type. And now he's the GM of, of the team. And 
I mean, that was the fresh face that the team needed. It was a, it was just a fresh young look. Uh, these guys are great with players uh, and, and it shows, you know, the, the players respect them. They respect the players. And it's uh, you saw the second half of that season, there was a culture shift. And I think that's what the team needed more than anything was uh, just, just a shift and a push in the right direction. And, you know, these players, like young, young guys like Luke Moncada, who stepped up, he's our captain now. He's still got, uh, he's still got some hockey, some junior hockey left in him. Uh, guys like Mitchell Russell, who stepped up this year. Guys like Brandon Coe. Um, and you're seeing that more and more from this team, just a lot more heart, a lot more hustle. And, you know, you br- bring a guy like Shane Balicka, from from Sudbury and that's a guy who's thirsty to make the playoffs too and mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned uh, when we were speaking the other day I mentioned that you know the team with a couple weeks left I believe we were 20 22 points or something like that out of the playoffs and at that point everyone's like ah man it's that's that's it this is the lost season we're going to draft well we'll bring in some guys next year these guys are going to develop and now you know you, you got eight games left in the season when we're post when we postponed and then eventually canceled and you're looking at the schedule and you're like man we're four points out of a playoff spot niagara's (laughs) dropping off kingston's dropping off and you're like this might actually happen and uh, it certainly made things exciting and uh, i think that's it's it's a good look into uh the looking glass of what's to come next year you know these guys are just going to get stronger they're going to get bigger and now you're bringing in some guys who uh like like ty nelson who they just drafted and now signed and um, the the future looks bright for the time yeah I, that's a perfect segue too and i'll mention brandon co of course he was uh mentioned in the top 50 in the north american central scouting ranking so uh really good news for the battalion despite their losing season but with that losing season they did develop in their future like you just mentioned with the first overall pick they picked ty nelson a defenseman uh, five foot seven hundred seventy four pounds from the Toronto Junior Canadians of the GTHL, and you just mentioned they signed him yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, for you guys, that's immediate good news. People knew Nelson was going to come to North Bay, uh, like right away, and you know he's very excited to be here. Now, the interesting situation with that whole draft was. You guys were supposed to initially draft Adam Fentilli uh, from the Kimball Union Academy Wildcats, who was the consensus number one overall pick at the time. But then he signed a contract with the United States Hockey League to play with his brother, and that basically squashed the whole situation right then and there. He was then drafted 18th overall by Saginaw. So I wanted to get your opinion on the whole drafting situation and what you think Ty Nelson can bring to the battalion for the future? Well, I think any hockey franchise um, or any franchise in junior hockey, you know, if you're one of the other 20 teams, you're going to, you're going to draft Fantilli 10 times out of 10. And and that's not a knock on Ty Nelson. um, But that was the, the prospect coming into this draft and obviously him committing to playing in the States kind of threw a wrench in their plans. um, But, you know, you're not going to, and I love the move, you know, uh, our, our GM, Adam Dennis, and I, I, I mentioned before, he's, uh, he's just such, he's got such a great hockey mind. He said, you know, the consensus was that the two best teams 
uh, were the Toronto Junior Canadians and the Quint Red Devils, and we feel we got the best player on both of those teams. And one of those players, Ty Nelson, who is, I mean, it, it addressed a hole on the back end. They needed to draft defense, and he's such a dynamic two-way player, and this guy is a guy who's going to develop, and he could hey, he has the potential to be one of the shining stars in the OH, not just the OHL, but the NHL. Uh, and I just, I love his play. I love his grit and it's going to be exciting. He's going to make hockey again. You know, you talked about the glory years of the battalion when uh, we started in 2013, 14, 15, uh, it, it should bring the glory years back to the battalion, which is, uh, which is exciting. Well, you think about some of the players that have come out of that situation, the most notable, of course, Mike Amadio, who is finding success with the Los Angeles Kings. And, you know, for Ty Nelson, obviously, it's a huge honor for him to be drafted. He's excited to go to North Bay. And, you know, obviously with the losing season, something that isn't sticking with the fans in North Bay is having a losing season. They're so used to having a winning season that they keep bringing up 1994. And, you know, obviously great days back in the centennial era, but this is a new era of hockey for North Bay. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously teams are going to have losing seasons. You can't always win. That That's the mm -hmm. problem with junior hockey. And the thing with that is these are just kids and people are, are being so hard on these young kids. It's yeah. I, not to harp on North Bay fans. They're very passionate people. They love their hockey. Even when the North Bay Trappers were still a thing, people would pack the old, uh, older, uh, structure of the North Bay Memorial Gardens and they just wanted OHL hockey back and they finally got it. So obviously picking Ty Nelson first overall, I think is going to be a huge boost for them and his teammate Panofemis going second overall, both of them being with the Toronto Junior Canadiens, that shows how well the GTAHL develops their players. And that's where most of these people come from. I mean, look at Quinton Byfield. He came straight out of the GTA yeah. and he is for the most part, the consensus second overall pick. And mm -hmm. that's what we'll talk about next let's shift to the nhl draft which is supposed to be happening relatively soon <laughs> uh it's it's more than likely not going to happen in montreal it's more than likely going to be done uh you know over over remotely just like the nfl is doing so you know with this whole situation people are questioning if this is going to happen you know who is going to be the top three and for the most part the consensus is alexis lafreniere going number one quitting byfield at number two Number three is a bit of a toss-up for a lot of people. I personally think it's going to be two, uh, Tim Stutzel from Germany. I just wanted to get your whole opinion on the draft. Of course, one of your players, Brandon Coe, is involved in the upcoming draft. The Wolves have three players on there, of course, Quinton Byfield, uh, Jack Thompson, and Isaac Phillips. For you guys, it's just Brandon Coe. Uh, but do you think the draft is going to happen at this point? Because, I mean, doing it remotely is your safest bet. I, I, I think they'll have to – I think I feel like they have to draft and they'll likely do it. I mean, obviously, again, we're just speculating, but I, I feel like, you know, at this point you would have to draft and they'll probably do it through a format like we're doing this right now through a um, – it'll probably be a lot larger scale, yeah. <laughs> a lot more production <laughs> involved. But uh, I, I feel like they have to draft. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you can't rob these guys of a, of a draft and, you know, teams are itching to get going with these, these players, obviously a uh, Quinton Byfield. I love that position. I, I think, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to go number two. 
uh, in the draft. He is such a, it's remarkable, exciting. We're so, we are so lucky to, to be able to play Sudbury so many times and see him obviously uh, with the juniors, he was away for a couple of games, but uh, just to see that kid play is um, he's going to be a, he's going to be a star in the NHL. You can just tell. So uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt he's going to go number two, but you mentioned uh, Brandon Cope. And I love that that draft placing. You know, Co was a guy who really worked on his his game last year. Um, I, I know he he's a guy who really wears his. Uh, he's a player who wears his his heart on his sleeve. He's got a lot of heart, and he shows it on and off the ice. And there was a game last season where uh, Co was is a little down on himself. And this is just again uh, to the testament of you know, how good the coaching and how great that staff is in North Bay. Uh, Scott Ray, I think, sat down with, uh, with Brendan Cohen and said, you know, don't get down on yourself. Just, just play, just play hockey, something to that tune. I don't know exactly what was said, but he went out there and man, did he ever rev up his game. And he looks like the player that we, we thought he was all along. He's got so much skill. And when he plays with heart, man, you got to watch out because he's one of the best players in the league. And I, I love the fact that he's, uh, he's got a pretty good ranking too going coming into this draft, and I, I really hope that uh, we we wish the best for him. Obviously, yeah, ranked number thirty-five among North American skaters, and he had a very strong season. His career high fifty-seven points in sixty games. Now you can obviously ignore the plus-minus on a team like North Bay. Of course, mm-hmm. most of the players were minus players for the majority of the season. But I mean, Brandon Coe is a shining star, and of course, he played at the top prospects game. Uh, for the CHL, which is obviously a humongous honor for any player. Of course, you know, you have Lafreniere there and Byfield. All the top eligible draft players are going to be at that game. And, I mean, for Brandon Coe, that is his biggest way of getting exposed, aside from obviously, you know, playing in a bigger market in the Ontario Hockey League. It's the best way for him to get exposed, and he's finally getting the recognition that he deserves. And that's a really, really good thing for North Bay for their future, especially with Ty Nelson is that could be a potential drawing point to bring top name talent to North Bay again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, anytime there's uh, there's a little bit of excitement in a market, you know, it brings the fans back into the building and then you get, I mean, you look at what happened in our first season, you know, we had sellout crowds and it was, it was exciting. You know, we had scouts come in and say, well, we heard this was the, the loudest rink in, in the league. And who doesn't want to be part of that, you know? And even the guys who come here say the fans are, I mean, they, they may have thinned out a little bit this year, but they were the few in the proud, you know? And it's just North Bay loves their hockey, just like Sudbury loves their hockey. Yeah. And uh, they just have such a connection with, with their team and vice versa. The players have a connection with the fans and uh, it's going to be exciting to see next year. Now, obviously, uh, with the season pretty much being over for the most part, at least for myself and you, of course, our respective teams can't play anymore with what's been happening. I just wanted to get your opinion on what your favorite memory of the season has been so far, whether it's North Bay or even in the NHL, because obviously a lot of stuff has happened over the course of the season. I just wanted to try and get your pick on uh, what your favorite memory of the season so far was. Favorite memory of the season? Uh, that would have to be the game against Ottawa. Yes. Ottawa came into North Bay. Um, this was a couple weeks before the end of the season. 
And this was on, you know, we mentioned that run that, that the team went on where we were just, we came out one day and started winning games. And you thought, you know, this team so far out of the playoff spot that <laughs> there's no chance they're even going to compete. And then Niagara started scaling back and Kingston started scaling back. And now North Bay is inching closer and closer. And then you have this team who is the best team in Canada come into North Bay who at that point was the last place team in Canada in the CHL. And you're thinking, man, they're going to mop the floor with us. But the battalion came out. They scored uh, quick. They scored early. They got a couple on the board. Ottawa climbed back. And then they just took off. And that was, that was the hardest that I've seen that squad play. And at that point, when we played that game, I think that's when they turned a couple heads. And that's when people were like, maybe this team can make the playoffs this year. Maybe they do have a shot. And uh, it was exciting to see, you know, anytime it's, uh, it's just one of those Cinderella stories where a team comes out and you're thinking they're going to get beat down. Uh, but they played their hearts out and came away with a, with a, with a big win. And I had a couple friends come down to the game and I said, you just witnessed the best game of the season, potentially <laughs> yeah. one of the best games that's been played in this building in a couple of years. And it was really exciting to watch. It's, it was without a doubt the biggest upset at the time in probably the entire Canadian Hockey League. Because like you mentioned, that's the top team in all of Canada losing to the bu- the basement team of the yeah. entire Canadian Hockey League. Yeah. And I mean, for me, my favorite memory, I guess I kind of have two of them, which I guess is probably cheating. One of them is when Ottawa came to our building. And I'm sure you remember too, a huge toss up yeah. out of the gate. I walk into the room and I see that David Bowen is the starter. Now, of course, people that are familiar with Bowen are familiar with his father, Joe. And David has been flip-flopping around junior hockey for the most part. Started with Rayside Balfour this season and then went to Drummondville to play with the Voltagers of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and then coming back to Rayside. And next thing you know, the Wolves call him up for one game and it's against hmm. the top team in the league and people are like, what is going to happen in this game? Next thing you know, the Wolves beat the 67s 2-0, and that was Bowen's first ever OHL shutout. It, and oh, really? I got I had the pleasure to call that game. I got to tell you, Ryan, it was one of the most heart-pumping and goosebump-raising hmm. things I've ever seen. It was totally out of the blue. And, I mean, the shakeup worked for Corey Stillman. It was an unbelievable moment. But my real favorite moment of the season – was Quinton Byfield scoring his first OHL hat-trick against Mississauga. And the Wolves were down 4-2 to in the game. And then Byfield starts really carrying the team through everything. They get to overtime. And again, I got to call this game. Byfield takes it from his own defensive zone within the first couple of minutes, walks through, makes a nice move of the blue line, walks in to the slot, fires a top corner, and the building's just going crazy. It was just an unbelievable moment. And for him to get his first OHL hat trick, it was just an amazing moment. And I think that's what most Sudbury fans are going to miss because, you know, if Byfield gets drafted, there's a chance he might not come back. So obviously it was a special moment. And people are going to say, well, what about the Hamilton Sudbury game? Nobody talks about that game anymore. <laughs> if I hear one more person bring up the 11 to 10 game, I'm going to probably scream. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, it was the second highest scoring game in OHL history. It was absolutely insane. I got to tell you, we, uh, because we do the out-of-town scores, or I'll announce the out-of-town scores at Memorial Gardens uh, when I slip into the PA seat. 
And um, I, I just remember calling the first period and, and saying, what? It's <laughs> happening after, the, after one period. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's kind of crazy. And then the second period, and now everyone's looking at the score going into overtime. I'm like, there's no way. That was yeah. uh, what, a, what a wild game that was for you guys. It, it was crazy. And, I mean, I didn't have – I mean, I did the color stuff. I didn't do the play-by-play. So, I mean, I got to save my voice. But the fact that the Wolves kept fighting back the way they did despite – you know, them changing their goalie twice, which I've never personally seen before. <laughs> Three goaltending changes in total. Hamilton stayed in there, I think, until five or six goals went in. And then the backup stayed in for the rest of the game. It was just an unbelievable scene. But Byfield's yeah. game, in my opinion, getting his first OHA hat trick has to be my favorite memory all season. I mean, he was a special player for this Wolves organization. He's without a doubt going to be one of the all-time greats that we've seen probably since Mike Felino or even the other Felino. You know, brothers. It, 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 he was a promising player, and you know what? The Wolves really used them as much as they could. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously both teams having really good players by Phil for us and Co. obviously for you guys. It's it's going to be interesting to see if they come back next year even if the season does happen. But, you know, there's so many memories from this season. On, uh, on that note, I did want to mention something, and this was something that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago with uh, them announcing down in the States that players would get that extra year of eligibility. Yes. You remember that? Yeah. Um, I, the CHL, and I'm saying, I'm saying right now, just give these guys an extra year of eligibility. Yeah. You know, they're robbed of this season, could potentially be robbed of some of next season. You don't know at this point. Um, but, I mean, some of these guys, especially some of these guys, uh, some of the overagers in the OHL that aren't going to the NHL, like this is the end of their hockey run. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to send off in the right way yeah. as opposed to going home and saying, well, that's a career, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I feel like it would be, it would be a class move to give those players uh, an extra year of eligibility. I know that's uh, there's a lot of red tape there, but uh, in my mind, that's an easy thing to do. And, <laughs> but that's just in my mind. And there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, that would probably upset a lot of people because, you know, if they give that exception to those people, then why can't they give the exception to future players? And I mean, Mm -hmm. you think about some players, there's two players I feel really bad for at the end of the season. Shane Balicka, because he's been with the Wolves since day one, went to North Bay and thought he wasn't going to make the playoffs. Next thing you know, North Bay goes on this huge run. The one player I feel the the worst for is Macaulay Carson. He set the franchise record for games played in a Wolves uniform. And, you know, the Wolves were going to go on one last playoff run for him to maybe get a ring. He's now moved on to play down in PEI with a couple former Wolves teammates in Troy Lajanis, Doug Lazdell, and you probably remember these two guys, some guys named Drake and Darian Pilon. <laughs> so, I mean, for these guys, obviously some of them, their hockey careers are going to continue, but you're right, for some of these other ones, if they don't make the NHL, their hockey careers mm. are coming to an end. And a lot of people have brought up that point. Do I see it happening? Probably not. Would you like it to happen? Absolutely. Because there's some players down in the NOJHL that are overagers and didn't get their fair chance. You think about, you know, obviously players in the OHL that never got their fan chance. Think about mm-hmm. Joseph Gareffa for Ottawa. Ottawa built this team to be a contender this year, and they were probably early favorites to win the championship. They were supposed to go on a large run just like they did last year, and 
you know, this whole circumstance really sucks. So, you know, would we like to see this happen? Obviously, but could it happen? I don't think so. And that, again, that's up for Hockey Canada to decide. But you also have to take into effect USA Hockey as well because they're tied with the CHL. Both, mm-hmm. uh, all three parties would have to come into agreement for this to actually happen. Which is tough. That's not always yeah. the easiest thing. <laughs> uh, I did want to give a shout out as well to Brad Chenier, who is uh, another guy who played his whole career uh, in North Bay. That flip for when you know you went captain for captain with Shane Blitka uh, coming our way and uh, and Brad Chenier going your way. And, you know, at that point, not only is Brad going home, he's got the hometown crowd. He gets to, to finally play in front of, I mean, North Bay's not that far away, but yeah. you're still, you're closer to home now. And you got to sniff at, like you said, potentially a, a nice playoff run. Uh, that can't be easy as well. So a uh, shout out Brad Chenier, a hell of a hockey player, hell of a guy and a great captain. From Italian. Yeah. I, I remember Brad Chenier day one when he came in, people were still, you know, trying to decipher what this whole trade was, you know, trading a guy like Shane Belica for Brad Chenier, but Chenier of course being a local kid. So they wanted to give him one last run in his hometown, which I think, you know, respectively is a great move on, uh, on Papano's part to bring him in. In. And again, that's another player I feel bad for is Brad Chenier. For his career to end the way it did, he got his start in the NOJHL and look at him now. He's in the Ontario Hockey League and now he's going to go play for the University of Ottawa, which is just amazing news for a guy like him. So obviously mm-hmm. there is a future for a lot of these players, but unfortunately for some others, yeah, they might not have a future if they don't make the NHL, which, but I mean, university hockey obviously plays a huge factor in that as well, as you think about those players. Course, yeah. uh, one last topic I wanted to talk about, Brian, before we end our first episode, which I think went a lot better than yesterday. If you ask me, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> lot less technical yeah. difficulties. Yeah, now. exactly. Uh, and we talked about this obviously yesterday. If we were to pick a Mount Rushmore of current NHL talent, uh, you know, who would that be? And obviously, you know, the consensus number one overall pick in a lot of people's mind. I'd be surprised if someone didn't say his name, Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. I mean, 11 times out of 10, you're going to pick McDavid, uh, one of the top players in the NHL. Now he's going to be one of the top players in the NHL 10 years from now. Uh, he's just getting going. And that's the, that's the really scary and dangerous thing is, yeah. you know, every single year you're like, okay, yeah, he's, he's really good. But now he's really, really good. And uh, we're going to be saying that for, for a long time with McDavid. Well, we have our we have our first player consensus. We both agree on Connor McDavid. Absolutely. Uh, here's another one I want to throw your way, Sidney Crosby. Do we keep him on the Mount Rushmore? Uh, I I mean I I still count Sidney Crosby as I mean he's still one of the dominant players in the league. You know, uh, he's he's starting to <laughs> he's not that old, but he's starting to get a little older in terms of you know hockey players. Uh, but he's still so dominant, and what he brings to a team, he doesn't only bring that skill, but he brings um, he's a presence in the locker in the locker room. He is a, he's a captain, he's a leader, and he's got experience, and you can't really match that. The guys won a Stanley Cup, and I mean it doesn't get much better than that than Sidney Crosby. So I think, you know, even though his, his career might be starting to, to wind a little bit, or at least uh, is starting to, uh, to plateau maybe, uh, he would still have to be one of the faces on that Mount Rushmore. And I think another player, obviously, that has to be on that Mount Rushmore is Alexander Ovechkin. Now, a lot of people would probably still keep him off of that list, but 
after winning his first Stanley Cup, finally, honestly, in my opinion, it's about damn time he won the Cup. He's been working his butt off to try and get to that point. I, I think he deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore because he is without a doubt one of the all-time greatest Russian players in NHL history. And I, I think his, uh, I think he had an attitude change at some point in his career. Cause I know a lot of guys uh, early in his career, maybe not guys in the league, but maybe some players felt slighted by it when he did the flaming stick thing. Yeah. And he was, he was known as he was almost kind of, you know, casted as this uh, showboat kind of hot dog player. And uh, I think that comes with experience. I mean, you know, I, I, I think when we talked yesterday, I mentioned, you know, I did a lot of dumb things when I was young. Uh, I still do dumb things now. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think he really, with that maturity, his game really grew. He became that, uh, again, like Crosby, he became that leader. And they just needed to get over that hump. And, you know, they needed to to beat Pittsburgh. That was their, their Achilles for so long. And once they did that, I think, you know, Ovi really led the way. And uh, I, I can't see that team being as successful as uh, – the funny thing about Ovechkin is he scores – uh, it's something like 90, 80-something percent of his goals from that one spot. The one face-off circle, yeah. And they know <laughs> it's coming. You're a, you're a team, you know it's coming, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. No. And there's something to be said about that. And that's why he's one of the greatest in the, in the league. And uh, he's going to be one of the greatest for years to come. So first ballot, uh, he's got to be up there. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer without a doubt. And people are obviously going to argue that. Those people are, you know, kind of the armchair athletes. I think Haters. the player is better. Exactly. But, uh, you know, we have our, I would say our consensus top three so far, three out of four, Connor, David, Sidney Crosby, and Alex Ovechkin. Uh, before I give my number four, I want to get your opinion. Who should be on that uh, final spot on Mount Rushmore? And a lot of people, you know, it's a toss-up between, like, say, David Pasternak, Leon Dreisaitl, Nikita Kucherov. Who do you think deserves the final spot? Oh, man, can we just – can we just put them? Can it just be a blend of uh, pasta? Uh, we'll throw Matthews in there. We're gonna throw one leaf in there, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, pasta, Matthews, and Drysaddle. I think Drysaddle is one of the best players in the NHL today. Uh, he's really developed. You know when? Uh, and, and this is this is when we really saw it was when uh, when Matt or not when Matthews when McDavid went down. You're thinking, uh oh. Edmonton's in big trouble and he carried the load and uh, man, that kid's got some serious talent and he makes players around him better. He makes McDavid better. And uh, I think he's going to be a, a big star in the, this league for a long time. So I'd say it would have to be some kind of, he would definitely be in the conversation for that, that fourth spot uh, along with, you know, McDavid or along with uh, Matthews and, yeah, you know what? I kind of, I kinda, <laughs> I kind of have to agree with you there because you think about how Drysdale's been playing. Of course, he's going to put up numbers when he's playing with, out of doubt, one of if not the top player in the entire world. And this kid just came out of nowhere from the Western Hockey League with Prince Albert. Like it, it's amazing, you know, the story this kid had. You know, Germany doesn't produce as much NHL talent as it used to. Of course, people would go back to, say, Dennis Seidenberg or Thomas Grease. Leon Dreisaitl was, without a doubt, one of the top players in the league. And he makes a lot of players play a lot better than they used to. You think about James Neal. He, of course, was a prolific mm -hmm. goal scorer with multiple 30-goal seasons. 
and then was bounced around to three different teams in three seasons. Uh, he was picked up by Vegas in the expansion draft. Next season, he's with Calgary, and then poof, he's with Edmonton. <laughs> like, he's been bounced around so much, and people thought this Neil Ferlucci deal was going to be, you know, did, would not work out for either side. And I think for Edmonton, at least at the start of the season, it really worked out because Neil had a four-goal game, and I think it was like the mm-hmm. first game of the season. And he, it, was, he was he was lighting the lamp at the beginning of the season for sure. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And Drysdale and McDavid play a huge factor in that, bringing back the old James Neal that people used to know before he started getting a little bit more nitty-gritty and starting to get into trouble. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you're right. It's fair to say Drysdale should be in the conversation. Obviously, everyone's Mount Rushmore is going to be different. It, it, mm-hmm. that's, that's just the way the hockey world is, and it's going to be up for debate for a long time. But in terms of current talent, obviously, you take away the numbers uh, of certain players. You know, you could easily say maybe Austin Matthews. Some people would even say Jack Eichel at this point, and I kind of might have to agree because, you know, Mm -hmm. even though Eichel's playing on a struggling Buffalo team, he is still one of the top players in the league. Oh, absolutely. You see what that, that squad did. They, they look dangerous when they're firing with that line uh, with Ryan, Reinhardt, Eichel, and I can't remember who the other, who the third man on that I, line. Was, I think it might be, got, might be Victor Olofsson, maybe. Olofsson, that's, that's exactly who it is. So that line is just so dangerous. When they were firing and uh, it, Buffalo kind of went on that run at the beginning of the season, uh, I still think they have, uh, they have some holes to address on that team, and we, we kind of saw that this year. Uh, but once they figure that out, man, that is going to be a dangerous team of uh, some, some shining young stars. So. Yeah, there's a lot of watch, shining. Watch out! Yeah, there's a lot of shining young talent in this NHL. And I mean, Buffalo seems to have Toronto's number almost every season, no matter how either team is performing. Even oh. this year, Buffalo was still running over Toronto like a scolded dog. Like it was, it was just ugly some games to watch. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously, the debate's going to be up whether Matthews or Eichel are the better American prospect. Obviously, a lot of people are going to debate that point and whether or not they should be on the Mount Rushmore of current NHL talent. But I mean, you know, that debate's always gonna happen no matter mm-hmm. no matter what and you know it's always a good discussing point uh i mean brian this this has been an amazing adventure and you know obviously we wish hockey was still here but you know we try to fill our void any way we can because people are still running old games and even games from this season on tv so obviously we still get our fix of hockey but it sounds like these we can actually be able to talk especially mm-hmm. over the airways for people to you know maybe get involved and just try and get other people's opinion so i I just wanted to thank you for doing this again, you know, with all the technical difficulties, obviously yesterday was kind of (laughs) unfortunate, but I feel like this conversation definitely went a lot better than yesterday did. So I just wanted to thank you for coming in and being part of this. Uh, thank you, man. I, I appreciate talking to you. You know, you, you, you're a passionate hockey fan and uh, you're, you're great at what you do as well with your, uh, your play-by-play and, and all the work that you do with Rayside and all the work you've done with uh, the Supper Wolves. I'm a big fan, so uh, I appreciate you having me on the inaugural episode. I appreciate that, Brian. And of course, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. Obviously, whenever I go to North Bay and uh, I, when I went there for uh, New Year's Eve, it was kind of hard to focus on actually calling the game because I got you in front of me calling goals and then I got Matt Stuprup <laughs> to the left of me and he's distracting me because he's going nuts. <laughs> it, it, it's always great to see you, obviously. And, you know, uh, hopefully the season can continue next year and we can be able to do this again down the road. You're always, always welcome here. Thank you. 
so that's going to do it for this inaugural episode. Uh, shout out to Brian Floyd for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter uh, at your favorite radio guy. I believe that's your, uh, there you go so obviously you know we'll we'll keep we'll put links to that go follow him really good guy and obviously huge love for hockey that's going to do it for this first episode i do thank you guys uh for wherever you're watching from for tuning in uh you can follow me at tjm underscore play by play make sure to follow the new page uh deep geeks pod i know i made a mistake on the old twitter so there is a new twitter up and running so people can go follow that but yeah that's going to do it for this first episode it you know hopefully we can make this a weekly thing it's been a long wait but uh hopefully people will enjoy it so we can get the word out so on behalf of brian uh this is thomas birthday thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the deep geeks podcast and hopefully we'll see you again down the road <laughs>